<laughs> this reminds me. So I was sitting there. Eric was trying to record, to edit on his iPad the last episode. And that it was probably was not a good idea. A mistake. But he was sitting next to me on the couch doing it. And I was listening. And like, it was, it was happening in the room. And so I could hear us and I could hear him the way that he, he like pieces us together. And it, he was linking the one, two, three, four, five. And I was like, Oh, that's not right. That's like there was more space. And he turned to me and he was like, do you think that in two years I haven't figured out how much space there is between these? Oh, I was like, all right. Yeah. All right. Anyway. You don't want to be in the room where it happens, as a matter of fact. I do not. Jennifer, it is really hot here. So my windows are open because I don't have any fans out and air conditioners. Mm. And so you're going to hear the dulcet tones of New York City in quarantine, which today include a lot of helicopters. I don't know what's going on, but there are a lot of helicopters at play. Probably people out there not wearing masks. Andrew Cuomo's pissed. My son had some friends show up at the front gate and, and he was like, Mom can I just like talk to them? And I was like, go on a walk. And the, the like relief that he felt for like, there's this great piece that came out this week that made me feel actually like a little bit of calm for the first time in 60, however many days, 63 days. Um, and it basically said like of all the monitored known transmissions of the disease, only one has, is known to have happened outdoors. And so that made me feel better about summer, especially summer in cities where it's hot and a lot of these old houses do not have air conditioning. So outside is important. Um, but also wear your masks, everybody. But take walks. It's okay. It's not. He was just so relieved. I was like, go for a walk. Like, just, it's fine. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. <laughs> now I'll never forget. I'm always like, have we said it yet? I know. Well, we can never do that again and get the same sort of money <laughs> shot. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Welcome to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. And I'm Jen Prokop. I read and critique romance novels. Um, and this week we are interstitialing and we don't have a guest, which is, we've had a guest for most of the last few episodes. So it's just the two of us together again. That's okay. It's one of my favorite ways to be with you, Sarah. Aww. Um, it's true. It is. No, it's so nice. You know, I was thinking the other day that, um, the one thing that quarantine is making me realize is that, you know, the community that you build is actually not at all it doesn't matter where it is yeah I have found myself thinking on many occasions that like the podcast and Romance Landia Twitter has really been a huge like lifesaver for me like just in like my mental health and having a community of people who I could still talk about books which I love and so it's been really I think a lot about that that how much it all means to me yeah I am a little concerned about the fact that all phone calls have become video chats now yeah I'm super (laughs) over that that seems unnecessary (laughs) this morning my editor called me and she's like I'm calling you in 10 minutes and I was like fine and I was in my pajamas my tank top said uh, Dorothy in the streets and Blanche in the sheets (laughs) and and, uh, she FaceTime videoed me and I was like oh no I need to call you in five minutes I, you know, it's great. So I talk to Kelly every day and what's great about it is the days I have a lot of classes, I can say to her, like, I just need to talk on the phone and it is nice that she's like, of course. So we do kind of a hybrid model. Yeah. Cause you guys are close, but so far. Yes, I know. Um, 
All right. Well, we are talking about partner in trouble today. This is such a great trope. I love it so much. <laughs> I know, me too. Oh. So tell our friends, our listeners, what we mean when we say partner in trouble. Although it was very funny because today I texted you partner in trouble and you wrote back, I don't know what's going on over there. Everything okay? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 not my partner in trouble. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing I've been thinking a lot about because one of, it's almost like, I, you know, is this a trope? I don't know. Is this like a, I'm not even sure what we'd call it, a plot development, but one of my favorite things in romance, like it, I love it so much is when like one of the partners, one of the room, you know, the, the people is in, is in perceived, often perceived danger. Now, sometimes it's actual danger, but sometimes it's perceived danger. And the other person freaks the fuck out at the idea mm -hmm. that their loved one is unsafe. Mm -hmm. And Put it in my fucking veins, Sarah, because it's <laughs> literally and it's funny because sometimes I will like reread those scenes where they just like, you know, are freaking out about the idea that someone's in danger and their their feelings of guilt or culpability, um, their worries about what that's going to mean for them, if they're going to be able to bear it if something happens. And so it's really interesting because it's often like. I am worried this person is in physical danger, and now that has put me in emotional danger. It's, oh my God, I'm feeling feelings. Yeah. And I don't like it. <laughs> A big avalanche of scary feelings. <laughs> I should perhaps get in the nearest conveyance and rush to their location <laughs> to check upon them. That's what I fucking love the most, yep. right? Oh, God, when they, like, jump on a horse or whatever. Like, it's amazing. Oh, uh, so good. It's so good. But, you know, it's interesting because this is a trope that you see a lot in certain subgenres and not a lot in others, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. you see it a lot in romantic suspense, in... Obviously, like all those erotica, that like wide swath of erotica that arrived right around 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. filled with stalkers. Oh, yeah. Like, which was just like sexy times, but oops, I have a stalker. Yeah. Um, and then you see it a lot in historicals. You do. And I was thinking about that a lot, too. And paranormal. And obviously paranormal. Yeah. And I, I, it's like, so I found myself actually doing this, like, a mental classification about, like, how and why that all works out. And also, one of the things I, like, we're constantly specula speculating on, like, what's next in contemporary. Mm. And, you know, the illusion of control, I think, in our modern lives is really gone. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if partner in trouble plots will not make a reappearance in contemporary in a way that often now when they appear, it's often it's, it seems to me as I was thinking about like sort of the examples I could think of like that really like bubbled immediately up to the surface were that a a woman's uh, abusive ex mm -hmm. was putting her in danger mm -hmm. and the new hero. It's often it's oh, and it's often it's really interesting, too. It's often really coded as male, male, female romance mm -hmm. that the hero is like, oh, my God, her this this ex is who was abusive is back in the picture or she's still in danger and that's often how it manifests itself in a contemporary, I think. Yeah, I don't love that. I mean, I think it's real. Yeah. But I think it's also, like, I think it can be a shortcut that doesn't read well. Yeah. Not always, obviously. Uh, so there's that. And I also, I mean, I really hope that you're right because I was thinking, especially on the heels of reading Bet Me and thinking about like just how many things were like kind of outrageous in that book. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you think about, um, you know, old Susan Elizabeth Phillips books where, you know, things are kind of outrageous or for example, my favorite, 
I mean, one of my favorite contemporaries, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast, and I don't think it, I would not read it. Like, there's a reason why it is not the Judith McNaught that I picked for the pod. Um, But I, I, her contemporary perfect, which is about a movie star who uh, ends up in, in prison and then escapes from prison and then kidnaps her and takes her to this, like, mountain retreat in Colorado where they fall in love. Um, Ultimately, I mean, I'm going to spoil the book for you. So if you like skip ahead two minutes, if you don't want to have the ending spoiled, but it, in my opinion, has the, like the greatest dark moment in all of romance because there is a sort of back and forth um, where he is, obviously he's a fugitive and of course he didn't do it. Of course. I mean, of course. It's an innocent white man, Sarah. Come on. <laughs> so, I mean, they never do it. So, um, so he's a fugitive. And then it becomes clear that she has been a part of how he has been taken down. So she, they, the police use her as bait, essentially. And so she agrees to meet him in an airport. And they are going to, like, whisk away to, I don't know, some foreign land where they will live happily ever after and with his movie star money. And um, he sees her in the airport and he starts to go toward her. And then people come, the police come out to, like, capture him. And he is hurt. Like, he fights and he's hurt. And she is losing her mind on camera. Like, there's a video of what's going on. And she is wrecked by the idea that he is being harmed in some way. And later, of course, that video is the video that proves to him that she never intended for, you know. Yeah, what to happen, yeah. It, what happened to happen. And so it's a really interesting, but the point is that, like, that is a, a moment where, like, she really does, like, break because she can't help him. Like, he is in trouble and she cannot help him. And then the second break is him breaking because he's seeing her pain and he can't stop it. Yeah, yeah. And it's real romantic. I mean, this book also has, like, Kevin Costner and, you know, Michael Douglas dancing with her at their wedding. So it's, you know, of a time. But it's real romantic. You know, one of the—I think one of the evolutions of this—like, one of the really important evolutions of this trope over time is that— when it is perceived that a woman is in danger, that she's often actually able to handle it herself. I Do you think that that's true always or true Not now? Not always. No, true now. I think some, and I don't even know if it's always, right? But like often, like that, I mean, because one of the things about this trope, one of the dangers, and I think this is why you and I are both a little gun shy of the like abusive ex getting his hands on her. Yeah. Is because it's essentially the modern day version of the villain tying a woman to the train tracks. Exactly. You there's a very there's a threat of fidging fridging here. Yes, exactly. She's just a victim. She's always been a victim. She's going to continue to be a victim. So it's really tricky, I think, it for modern readers to pull off. That and again, I'm not saying it can't be done because I can definitely think of examples when it's been done. But I think you have to really carefully develop the backstory of her her growth away from that previous harmful relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I think in some ways also like isn't fair. Right. Like we talked a lot. Adriana talks a lot about um, trauma in romance and Mm -hmm. it, it shouldn't be that. You have to, like, recover completely, you know what I mean, in order to deserve love again. Like, there's all these ways in which a lot of that just feels really complicated to me. And so, like you, I don't really love the idea of just, like, the heroine at the mercy of a villain. Mm -hmm. Unless it's clear to me that she is going to fight back. Right. Like, um, Evie in, uh, the Lillian book yes <laughs> right. so st vincent oh my god none of it is here it really is hot um the so it's uh not spring not autumn yes autumn summer 
Um, <laughs> it's autumn because Devil in Winter is the next one, right? So it's got to be it happened one autumn. There we got there. So Lillian and Westcliff are getting married. Um, and Sebastian, St. Vincent, you know, hero to all, eventually, <laughs> eventually. Uh, decides he's going to, like, kidnap her and take her to Gretna Green and, like, assault her. And look, Lillian's got it together. Um, but the reality is that, like, Westcliff, I mean, Clapis does this trope really well. It's devil. It's Derek Craven. I mean, Sarah, the club burns down where Sarah, how sure. can I live without Sarah? I'm crying in the rubble. Oh, oh listen, one of my, this is wrong. You guys, I feel like this is going to, I'm like really laying my shit bare. You can sure. come at me for this, but I don't care. You know what I fucking love? I love when they're so devastated at the idea that they're like, their lady love is gone, that they just like have to drink Oh, and in yeah. real life, I would not like this, but like in the nope. upcoming Devil of Downtown, <laughs> right? Yeah. And Derek Craven, they're just like, how can I live? And it's like, they just, they got to numb that pain yep. and it's whiskey. And I'm like, suffer. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't terrible. drown your troubles, everyone. You should I know. Your it's terrible because that's, of course, the thing, right? Like in real life, this, I don't want this, but in a book. No, I love it. God, I want it. I really do. And I i mean, this is part of the issue. Like, this is part of why I think we love uh, Cressley so much. Because there's no one who puts their partner, the partner in danger trope to the test. Like right. Cressley. Yeah. You know, and I think that that is, there's like a huge amount of, like, that's what we love. We love the moment where the alpha often yeah. Discovers his feelings. And the reality is, is that often those feelings are, oh, shit, I loved her. And now I am going to lose her. Right. Which brings me to I want to talk about um, which is it's slightly I mean, it is definitely like heroin in trouble. But Millivane's A Heart of Blood and Ashes. I've sort of vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us more about talk, it. I said I was reading it when I read it. Um, so it's a fantasy. The second one comes out. um, this month pretty I think. soon i think yeah, either yeah this month or next month i have it on my kindle and i have not read it yet um but anyway so there's a there's a line in this book so essentially there's a ton of stuff happening in this book i've talked all the time about the fact that i actually don't really care for fantasy because i don't want to have to learn new place names <laughs> yeah <laughs> new people names strange new, wanna... strange new bugs Always in fantasy, there's some, like, yeah, strange new bugs and creatures that will kill you. Um, Also, I have no interest in the politics of a fantasy world. Like, I read enough about the politics of my current world. I don't need this. Right? Right. So I don't, I tend not to read fantasy. I apologize, everyone. But I did read this, and I was sucked in. I read it on a plane, and it was, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Millivane is a, um. Remember Planes? Let's just take oh, a minute to remember, remember planes. planes. Pour one out for planes. <laughs> R.I.P. Planes. Um, it's not funny. It's not funny. It's not I mean, funny. you guys, I said to Eric yesterday, he poured me some drink that really laid me very low. And um, I said, as it was, it was with um, this alcohol that comes from Norway or the Netherlands, somewhere <laughs> there. And it's called Jennifer. I think it's from the Netherlands. And um, and I literally was, you know, kind of drunk. And I was like, Eric, when we get to go places, take me to Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, and that is because all and so all I really want to do is get on a plane and go somewhere. But what was I saying? Fantasy. So fan- so I read it on a plane and I really enjoyed it. And there is a lot going on. So the heroine is um, she is the direct she's like the future queen of, you know, I don't know, country A and <laughs> land A. And her father's fucking awful. And so are her brothers. And it's a matriarchal line. So like the fact that she exists is a problem because like she's the heir. But 
Right. Nobody wants her to be there because she's decent and the other people aren't. And then there's the hero who is about to be king of country B. And essentially, like, she takes herself to his country to kind of get him to marry her so that she'll have the support of his whole world to, like, I don't know, fight her dad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> romance reasons. Romance reasons. So then there's like a lot. So then it's basically like a big road trip, but there's also all this like, there's this really, there, I want to, I want a trigger warning. There is a, um, a miscarriage. There's a lot of pregnancy, like pregnancy is a huge issue in this book. Like she needs to get pregnant in order to like have an heir and like perpetuate the line before her father kills her. Like this is definitely like, Game of Thronesy. So, if you think that there are triggers that might be in this book, there definitely are. Like, there are some weird things that go on in this book. There's a there's this like killer blow, a killer hand job, but it's like truly crazy. In fact, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so, I she like murders it. her. You don't like it? No, no, <laughs> I like it. I'm all like, <laughs> she murders her brother. Like, sure, early in the early. In the book, like in the first hundred pages, she murders her brother because he's terrible and deserves it. And so she like stabs him and she's covered in blood. And like he's also the enemy. He's her enemy and he's also the enemy of the hero. And the hero doesn't trust her because they're like her whole family is his enemy. They've killed his parents, right? Her mm-hmm. her father and brothers killed his parents. Again, lots of layers. And so she murders her brother, like, right in front of everybody. And then, like, suddenly she and the hero are, like, making out. And then she gives him a hand job, and her hand is still covered in the blood of her brother, which, in theory, sounds just awful but in practice i was like oh no i see what's going on here this is like her sealing their yeah their deal like it's i'm sealing the pact that i have with you with literally the blood of my family like i'm turning against my family to be with you it's wow i'm all about it actually (laughs) i'm all like i'm gonna crawl past the strange bugs and get on that train (laughs) that's amazing um, anyway, so but my point is that I want I read this. So there's so at the end, of course, everyone's in danger. Her father has kidnapped her. He's fighting this massive battle and almost and like near death. And he's realizing like she, he finds out she's with his her father and he's terrified for her future. And she's terrified for his life. Like they're just there's so much. The stakes are massive. Right. And. I mean, just huge. And it's because it's this, like, big, like, war. Everybody's wearing fur and dirty and, like, you know. I should read more fantasy because, you know, I like a lot of conflict. And fantasy leans hard I into mean, that. I mean, every page, right? Like, blood hand job. I mean, come on. Fine. <laughs> That's not yeah, even taking the finger. Joanna Lindsay has not even. <laughs> Joanna Lindsay has never written a blood blow, a blood hand job. Not a blood blow job. That is a Cressley Cole thing. That DM. Was, blood sure. blow job. Trademark. <laughs> Cressley Cole. Blood hand job. Trademark. Millivane. Millivane. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I want to read this part where he says um, he's basically he's dying. Like they're they're basically like you aren't going to live. Yeah. You are, have been poisoned. You're going to die. And he says, um, my bride, take me to her. And he sees the look pass between his, you know, seconds in command. And he knew they thought it was impossible. A day's ride. Hoarsely, he told them, there are words left unsaid. Here's where the feelings happen. Yeah. Page 491. Mm. And one of the seconds in command says, we'll tell her for you. And she's crying when she says this. Heart aching, Maddox, that's the hero, shook his head. No one can say these. Not if they were to mean anything. To hear love from someone else's lips only sounded like a platitude. You fool, says another one of them. You didn't tell her, you cock-brained fool. Oh. And it just, uh, it's so that's good. Great. It's so good. And then he says, don't sleep, meaning like, no sleep till... We can't stop. Yeah. Whatever it takes. And so they're going for her. They're going to save. Somebody will save the day. He's dying. Right. Someone will. He doesn't die. And then. The, 
It's amazing. <laughs> Someone will save the day. But, like, he's feeling the feelings, and he has to save her, and he has to say the feelings also aloud. Yeah. So this reminds me, it was funny, uh, a, a book that I thought was, like, a a great example of this. And again, it sort of veers on paranormal is that one of the a real recent Tessa Bailey called reborn yesterday. Oh yeah. Where she is a human and he is a vampire as it goes. And somebody when she is sleeping is literally like lifting her up out of her bed and, and dropping her places. And so the first time she literally like wakes up, she lives in Coney Island. So she like wakes up in the ocean and has to swim back to shore. (gasps) And she tells him this story and he is super freaked out by it, but they've just met. Right. And he's like, I'm going to have to keep you safe. But there's this amazing scene then when she actually, when it happens, like thinks she's like dreaming. And then in the second one, she wakes up in the middle of what I think is, I'm not a New Yorker, I think I'm going to get the road right, the Long Island Expressway. L-I-E, the B-Q-E, hippies at the band show with the L-S-D. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not great. No. <laughs> I mean, now it's fine, because remember driving? Yeah, we're sure. <laughs> so she literally, like, lands in the road, and a semi is coming at her, and she, <sighs> like, I mean, and I've got to tell you, it really, because of the, we don't know how it's happening, it's a brilliant scene. Mm -hmm. And so she is, there's this description of her, like, running off of the road, and she, she runs off the freeway, and she, like, kind of is able to, like, calm down enough to figure out where she's going, and then she, like, runs home. I mean, and, you know, the the way her panic is described, we are, like, really feeling like, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's finally safe, she's finally safe, and the minute she gets home and Jonas is like, where have you been? And he's freaking out, and, like, she's freaking out, and I was like, <laughs> this is all I want from these scenes, but I right? I love it, but he she saves herself. She saves herself. See, it's one of those things where um, that's really interesting because you were start you started to describe that, and of course, like I thought about the scene where uh, Edward saves Bella from the car in the school parking lot, mm-hmm. right? And he like puts out his hand in the movie, like he puts out his hand, and then there's like the imprint of his hand in the car door, and like there it is, like that's the shot, right? Is like yeah, that's the moment where, and I I. It's interesting because I think that it does, it does a lot of things, right? Like one, with an impenetrable hero, the moment where he panics to the point of doing anything to save her, right? In the sort of Edward Bella sense, that scene, it's the first time that you actually see them, you see them worry, right? You see them, their anguish, if they can't, they can't change it, right? Right. And so that that anguish is something that we like to see because we like to see, you know, heroes punished. And we like to see heroes have have to face their own feelings. Yeah. Right. And I would say along with that scene. And again, I I really still think the first Twilight book's fucking amazing. I'm not I'm not here to like shit all over Twilight. Like it blew me away and it kind of still does. But the scene where she's in town and because he can read the thoughts of the men who are like after her, who are targeting her. (gasps) Yes. And he freaks out because he's like, you're in danger all... I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like, you're in danger all the time. I can't protect you all the time, right? Like, this fear is this really deep-seated fear about how we feel about the people we love, uh-huh. right? And and it's the, the those two scenes together because it's both, like, random physical danger, but also, you know, you're at the mercy of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that both of those scenes really are, like, in Twilight, like, that shit's fucking addictive. If I had read that when I was 16 years old, forget forget about it. it. I mean, you'd have been lost forever. (laughs) Forever. And the reality is, is, like, all those teenagers who read Twilight, if they didn't come to romance, they should have. 
because we've we got, got some it. Books for you. We got yeah. it. I mean, I do think that there's also this sort of sense. The other reason why I like these books to happen, I like this stuff to happen in uh, paranormal or sci-fi or fantasy things mm-hmm. that feel above, you know, more complex or sort of more unbelievable, mm-hmm. right? Is because then the the stakes can just be massive. Right. So I'm thinking about Emmy Chandler's books, which are all set on a prison planet where people go forever. Right. Claire Kent's hold too here. Like it's literally the most dangerous game. Exactly. That one where they're both trapped in the killing, like the killing arena Mm -hmm. and people are hunting them. And so it's sort of you have to protect yourself. You also now here's the big problem. You have to protect yourself. And now there's another person here who you have to protect. So like, right. And then your heart, it's that moment where it's like your heart is living on the outside of your body. Yeah. And it is magnificent because not only the, I mean, the best, the money shot on that is with the hero going, I didn't even know I had a heart and now it's over there and I got to protect it. I mean, heroines too, but heroines are more like together about their feelings. Yeah. Well, and I think that they... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like that illusion of control thing. A series that I think makes a lot of really interesting choices about the evolution of the heroine in danger trope or or plays with it in a lot of really interesting ways is um, a series by M. O'Keefe. The first, famously, the duology is everything I left unsaid and the truth about him. And this is the only duology I've ever read like the only time in a, a cliffhanger happened and I actually needed to know what happened because, and it is, and it's interesting in that book number one, it is that she is in danger from an evil ex. And we know all along that she's been on the run from someone. It doesn't pop up out of nowhere. It felt sort of organic, but the end of that book is essentially this evil ex showing up and I needed to know what happened, but it was never really as satisfying. Whereas in book number two, we get, which is Burn Down the Night, which is we get Joan, who is... We've talked about this one, yeah. Yes, we have. The person she's really trying to save is her sister. Yes. And her sister is essentially under the, like, a cult leader has taken her. And she's like, I got to do everything I can to save my sister. And so it adds, like, a real extra level when it's, like, a, a you know, a, a family member in danger. Often it plays out in male, female romances, like, right. The heroine is in danger, but here it's like, I'm putting myself in danger because my sister is in danger and I need to do anything I can to save her. But in book number, the the last book of that, I guess it's like a four books. I don't know. Like the third couple in the trilogy, um, it's, it's called wait for it. And Tiffany has also been abused by a husband And he's, like, kind of still in the picture, but she is essentially, like, taking care of herself. And when Blake, who's the love interest, essentially is like, I'm going to take care of this for you, she's continually like, no, I'm going to fucking take care of it for myself. If you want to help me, you know what, get me a... You stay away from me. That's how you're going to help me. And I think the evolution of, like, the heroine in danger trope really, like, And it's funny because I it's that last book that I end up reading over and over again Mm -hmm. because I really respect the way in which she's like, yes, I made a mess of things and I have a dangerous ex, but I'm in charge of my life, not you. Mm -hmm. And it really worked for me in a different way. And so it's like, you know, to me, it's it's it's. I think to watch like a series that plays with that really explicitly. And if you haven't figured out where I'm driving to yet, Sarah, <laughs> this is going to come out a couple weeks before uh, Daring and the Duke. Uh, but this is this is a, a trope that you've written a lot and in a lot of different a ways. Lot. I was when I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, what about that? Oh, that I wrote that. <laughs> what, what Just about, today, oh, I've been listening to. Is it The Rogue Not Taken? What's the one with Sophie? I'm like That's terrible title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Where he is, he's like, go sleep in the fucking hayloft. You're a dummy and you made it on the North Road and it's not my problem. And then he cannot sleep because yeah. he is like, she's out there and I, it's my fault. I got to go find out what's happening. 
And I was like, there it is, right? In big and small ways. But I think it really gets elevated in some way. It it really gets elevated for the bare-knuckle bastards because their whole background is rooted in a kind of trauma where they couldn't save each other. Right. I mean, that's Wit's whole problem. But yes. Yes. Also, I think that the issue with the bare knuckle bastards over everything else is that it is them. They are the danger for the partner. Like, not you and in Grace, it's a different thing. But the setting aside you and Grace, which is a real traumatic, like, there's some shit there. But in Wicked in the Wallflower, which is Devil and Felicity, and Brazen and the Beast, which is Wit and Hattie, both Devil and Wit bring danger to Felicity and Hattie. Like, yes. without them, there is no danger. Right. We like it when the hero or the heroine cannot help but be the problem. And so they have to sort of put up the wall. Like, you can't love me because I'm danger to you. Um, I think about, and this works really well, really, really well in cliffhangers, which, you know, you and I have, are, we are on the record about cliffhangers, but you just brought up Molly. And, um, you know, I have to bring up Sierra and the American, uh, the Cam- the new Camelot trilogy, right? Because the end of American Queen, the heroine is abducted, you know, and he- the reason why she is is because she is first lady. And so the suddenly this like alpha president figure has to work through the like, second book is him like working through. The fact that he can't keep these people he loves safe, right? That's a menage book. And so, and and there's something really great about that. Um, Sierra writes a lot of, like, a lot of Sierra's books sort of flirt around the edges with this, like, I'm, I'm part of your, especially because she writes erotica, often it's like our sexual relationship is part of the, is part of the danger for part you. Part of the danger, Yeah. Which is, again, I think is really interesting, but it also works. It works similarly for things like bodyguards, because with you, my bodyguard would not be in danger if I weren't who I am. Right. You have to let when you start unpacking this trope, it's so many other tropes are inside it. Oh, yeah. And it really is about overt gesture on the page. You've dodged talking about the Brandoco Bastards. I'm not going to let you do it. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Well, we're going to talk about them a lot over the next few months. We are, which is fine. (laughs) Oh, by the way, you guys, pre-order the Brandoco Bastards from Word Bookstores in Brooklyn. And get a special Fate of Mate sticker. (laughs) Yeah, it's really cool. I, like, want it now. Links in show notes. Of course. (laughs) I, so I, it's funny because I don't think I've ever recommended really, I guess maybe that Molly O'Keefe book is kind of motorcycle club adjacent, but, um, I don't really like, they're kind of a, like, I don't want to say guilty pleasure, but I, I don't, I have some complicated feelings about why I like them, Uh but I just read one this week that, um, called the Hellfire Riders. (laughs) And the second book in the series, it's actually, I guess they were novellas and the three get to get three package, three kind of novellas get packaged together and they're not cliffhangers. Each one sort of ends, but then their story like picks up. The one I really ended up liking the best was the one about um, Jack and Lily. And Lily is not an old lady in the motorcycle club. She is like an actual member because there was sort of a rule that if you'd served in the military, you kind of could get in. And so she is a real badass and I liked her a lot. And, but, you know, Jack is like, he's had this really traumatic childhood and, you know, he's essentially the enforcer for the motorcycle club and like, it's real violent and they kill people on page and no one ever feels guilty about it and whatever. But (laughs) there, he's basically like, I'm no good for you, but I just really want to have this night with you. And the way this plays out is fucking amazing. At some point they were drinking and like some vegan or vegetarian restaurant opens up in this little town. And he's like, you know, it's going to be fine. People are going to like it. And she's basically like, I bet you like I'd sleep with you if that thing's in business in two years, like some like throwaway (laughs) line. And then we get this information that he eats there literally twice a day for the next two years. Oh my God. To keep them in business. To keep them in business. And then (laughs) 
is like, listen, do you remember that bet we made? I'm for it. And she's furious because she's like, you dummy, you could have just said I want to be with you. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting. I ended up really liking it because the his whole thing is I'm no good for you. I don't know how to feel my feelings and I know it. I'm just this brute. I love I'm just a brute. I love it. I saw, you know, I see the Goodreads reviews for Sarah McLean novels, and I see that a lot of people are like, I hate it that all our heroes are like, I'm too bad. I'm not good enough for you. No, fuck that. They're all, no man is good enough for you. (laughs) Well, it's, and I like it when they're like, you're so, I'll break you. Like, I'm so rough and I can't. Oh, I love it. I'm sorry, you guys. If that's not your thing, stop reading my books. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're real, we're down in the hole today. I don't even care. It's how I feel, right? All shields are down. Is what I say when I'm this mood. You're hearing the tr- unvarnished truth. But this, the way that this part about like the the danger is, he knows she can handle herself, but he ends up like sort of backing her up in a way that's subtly undermining, but he doesn't realize it. And she has to say to him, like, "You can't do that." And it's honestly, I don't know, this 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 particular book really worked for me because the motorcycle club thing was really ancillary to just this life they were living that they had both chosen. And even though he didn't mean to be hurting her, right, he his attempts to keep her out of danger were, in fact, making yeah, things worse for her. Exactly. Ugh. And I thought this book did a great job of really revealing that. Often we come okay. at a trope and we so, think, you know, why does this work? What is what is the heavy lifting this trope is doing? And I think from a writerly perspective, the heavy lifting this trope does is showing you character de- development, right? Mm-hmm. Like it shows you we yes. began when we began the story. And this is also true. You know, you brought up the Barnacle Bastards and I and I dodged it, but I brought up Derek Craven and, you know, and also mafia romances, bodyguard mm-hmm. romances, romances where motorcycle club romances. The part of the appeal is that we're looking at characters who have had a more complex, nuanced life that maybe hasn't always been, um, you know, lawful or hasn't always been perfect in the eyes of you know the world. Again, I know I'm constantly talking about Joanna Shoup's um, this series, the D- Uptown Girls series, because it's amazing. By book three, which is about Jack Mulligan, who's right. It's really this whole exploration of like in this book, the cops and Tammany Hall and the mayor are like the bad guys. You know, I mean, I think that it's really interesting to see books really explicitly playing with this idea of like, well, why would you be on like, quote unquote, the wrong side of the law? Right. Like a lot of times it's ex-military and I saw what we were really doing. It's I mean, there's all these different reasons. And I or in, you know, the case of the bare knuckle bastards, it's literally like they had no choice. That lawful life was was taken from them. Yeah. But that's the thing. So there's also a piece, a little bit of morality chain going on in a lot of these stories. Right. The appeal is I mean, look, we also need to and I want to put a pin this and come back to it. We also need to talk about like different modalities of saving, right? Like mm-hmm. when I'm, what I'm talking about is somebody is in overt danger and the hero or heroine, the, their partner cannot get to them. Right. Which I love. Um, but there's also like Mr. Darcy, you know, saves Elizabeth's family and Elizabeth by extension by doing what he does. Right. So there are all these sort of different ways that we play with the savior as a conceptual idea. Um, but my point about these characters and morality chain is, you know, when we, and we're going to do a whole morality chain episode, um, by the way, everyone, um, because somebody whose name we will reveal at a later date, won an auction and chose morality chain. Um, 
Anyway, so that'll be super fun. So I don't want to get too, too deep into it. But morality, this often happens in morality chain romances. And the reason why it happens or the value of it being on the page, aside from like scratching an itch for readers, is saying at the beginning of this book, Lothair did not care about Ellie. And now at the end of this book, he cannot bear the idea of her being in the blood forest. Right? Right. And so these two things... They cannot function um, like he he cannot function the same way anymore. And we as readers have no choice but to see the complete 180 that he has done because of love. Even though, you know, so I think that that is I think that looks cleaner and it's more clear when you're doing it with people who are part of organized crime or like, you know, are criminals or are, you know, in a motorcycle gang or whatever. Right. Yeah. Because you can sort of see the Ewan, for example. Right. Like you can see the evolution from a guy who killed people in the last two books to a hero, hopefully yeah. at the end of his book. That's the hero of my next book. Right. In the Duke. Part of the there's this long time period of like stasis it in from the time that like the bare knuckle bastards leave the Duke's home to like the events of their romances. And it takes several books to sort of unpack exactly why Ewan has been like activated now. And it's that he fears he has been told that Grace is dead. Right. Like all this time, he thought she at least was alive. And there's this really fascinating, like th truly fascinating, I, I thought, kind of play on this trope, which is you were supposed to take care of her. And he means right to devil and to beast. Right. Like you, too, were going to take care of her. That's why I let you leave. That's why I let you leave. And. It's. It's really fascinating the way it plays out. So because he's of, been going through yeah. what you're saying is he's been go I I did not notice this, but <laughs> <laughs> this is why author critic is useful sometimes. <laughs> critic slash English teacher Jen. Let me tell you <laughs> so what like your what book was doing, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so what Jen is saying right now is that Ewan has been going through the emotional anguish of believing his partner was in trouble for Years. Yeah. Yeah. At least the two years that we've been reading about it. But also, let's be honest, he's been going through that anguish for 20 years. Like, he can't see her. He doesn't know where she is. He doesn't know what she's doing. He doesn't have eyes on her. Essentially, like, we're really left wondering, I would just say at the beginning, like, why, why has this come to a head in this way? And it's part of what unfolds in the book is, like, this emotional journey that he's been on for 20 years, but then for, like, two years. And, but also, at the same time, and this is the brilliance of it, is, because it's fucking brilliant, everybody. Oh, that's nice. it's, it's true. Is her arc is to self-sufficiency and how dumbfounded she is that this dummy was even worried about her safety, right? Because she is so deeply competent and able to take care of herself. And it's the weight of like, it's, it's, there's so many layers then about like, well, what is really a danger to grace, right? Who is trying to threaten women like her? What does safety look like inside the rookery and out? And it's it's in every you know, it's almost like I mean, I'm it's really having I've been rereading your books and it, I'm like, sorry, Sarah, I'm like, but it's really fascinating to watch the evolution of that trope even in your work. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, I do like <laughs> as I said, I like that trope. A lot. I mean, it's it's unsurprising. Every single book has it in some way or another. In some, and it usually for both main characters, like they yes. have to each come to a place where they have to deal with the idea that they might lose the other and like, can they survive it? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, because for me, and maybe it is just my unflagging love of, um, of uh, old school romances where it was like a dude on a horse riding in the rain. Oh, yeah. 
you know, and oh, how, God, yeah. I mean, I think about all those, ba- like, we're going to talk about a kingdom of dreams eventually. <laughs> it's just that we're, we keep going through whole period swaths of our lives. You guys were one we're of us too busy, super yeah. busy. Um, it, yeah. So, but as soon as Jen is done with school, we are going to do kingdom of dreams. Um, so I don't want right. to talk too much about it, but the, the climactic scene of that book is apps is hero in danger and the heroine having to face it. And it is, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I love that book, but one of the biggest reasons is that she is the one who has to come to terms with it. And I really do like it when heroines have to do that because, you know, it it should be that way. But I do like it when men have to like hold back a car or like leap into (laughs) a riot, like enter a riot to save their lady love. Oh, yeah. Who, of course, would have been fine. She'd have been fine. I think what, like this, yeah, it's so good. I love when they're like, the, the, you know, she's like, look, the only way to like figure this out is if I'm going to set myself up as bait. And the man's like, bait over my dead body. (laughs) And they freak out. Like, God, I love that. (laughs) So wrong. I love it. Well, can I talk about, I have another one that I want to talk about. Good. So, cause we really haven't talked about any romantic suspense here. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about Helen K. Diamond's The Secret She Keeps, um, which came out last year, maybe. I think it's her recent one, right? It's, it might be. I don't know. She seems like she writes faster than that, but also she was president of RWA. So <laughs> yeah. who can say what was going on Talk there? about a heroine in danger. <laughs> Ellen Kay. You all right? <laughs> so Helen Kay writes romantic suspense. She's also now writing suspense suspense, um, which is great and I think can only help that the thriller genre get better because more women writing thrillers is what I want for that genre. Um, anyway, the the essentially um, the heroine's in hiding on a small island in the Pacific Northwest, maybe, um, and the hero is there for like uh, like he's his her his. I think his sister was killed or, um, yeah, I think his sister was killed. And now he's like trying just, he needs, he's going somewhere to like decompress. Like he needs like a month off and he shows up on the, to a cabin on this Island, on this remote Island, which is like the opposite of what I would do. I would check into the four seasons. He's going to a cabin in the woods. Terrible idea, everyone. But he gets clocked in the head on his first night, and he's like, I don't know what's going on in this town, but I'm going to stay. And so he stays, and he falls in love with this, like, woman who clearly has secrets, but she can't quite figure out what they are. And, of course, like, it's romantic suspense, so it just, it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and, like, she's being stalked, and who's stalking her, and what's happening? And then, this is no surprise to anyone, because this is the rule of romantic suspense. But like when it comes to a head with the villain, there's like blood and gore and like fighting and everybody's like panicked and it's just fucking terrifying. And there's a hero the there. There's a villain and the villain is stalking her. Um, and she, the villain grabs, like, it's a, it's the scare jump, the scare moment from a horror movie, right? Where you think he's dead and then he's not. Um, (laughs) and then he like, he grabs her. Or his, you know, he like he he reaches for her and he says, like the the villain says, like, she belongs to me. And there's this moment, right, where like everything pauses and you think to yourself, like, how is this going to go? But like, I trust Helen Kay. And so and what's amazing here is like you're in the heroine's POV and she's like knocked out, like really in shock. And she hears the voice of the villain saying she belongs to me. And she turns and she looks at him and she says, never. And the immediate next line is the hero looking her dead in the eye and going, never. And like, that's it. No discussion. It's us against the world. And it's magnificent. And like. Of course, during all of this, it goes back and forth and back and forth between like each the hero and the heroine, each worrying about each other. There's such parody 
in these books. Mm-hmm. Helen Kay does a really beautiful job of building romantic suspense where everybody has power. Like there's Agreed. no, the worst romantic suspense is where there's like the simpering heroine and the like big bad hero. And like, it just plays out in a really like kind of top gun, like let's, yeah. who's got the bigger, like who's got right. the bigger, like pecs kind of way. And the re- the reality is in this case, it's really like Helen Kay writes a really great romantic suspense where the heroines are just as strong as the heroes. And so when there is fear at the end, it's fear on both sides. So your heart is just racing the whole time and you don't know how it's going to end. But I love I love that moment. I love the moment where it's like, I'm going to save you and you're going to save me. And it's, you know, it's that pretty, it's the the pretty woman moment. (laughs) Always. So what happened after he climbed up the tower and rescued her? She rescues him right back. I love it. Has your daughter read the paper bag princess? Of course. (laughs) Of course. Has my daughter read The Paperback Princess? The Paperback Princess is this great book by the guy who wrote I'll Love You Forever, which is a very hot button book in the world, in parenting world. The Paperback Princess is for all children, yeah. though. Like, everybody, if you don't know this one, get on it. It's terrific. It's about a princess who saves her, her prince, and then he says, You are wearing an ugly paper bag. You don't have any shoes on, and you smell like a dragon's ear. Come back and rescue me when you're dressed like a real princess. And she says, you may look like a prince, but you are actually a bum. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) It's so good. And it's and then she just takes herself alone into the sunset. And I believe the last line of the book is. And they didn't get married after all. And it's great. But in this Helen Kay Diamond book, they do end up together. They do get married. Well, sure. Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's just great. Like, putting danger on the page. And then, like, uh, the best thing is in historicals when the danger, I mean, and in contemporaries, too. But in historicals, there's that, you know, the thing that, that historicals have that contemporaries don't is reputation. Right. Like a sort of constant threat of God forbid you be you ruin you're ruined. You be ruined. Like ruination is the worst thing. I think and we've talked about this, like right in sick so bed scenes, it like you know, sometimes I think like these motherfuckers didn't have antibiotics. Nope. Like a scratch could kill you. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's also just this I mean, this whole idea that Everything is more precarious, right? Like the illusion of safety is is that much thinner. Sure. Yeah, and, and it's so, also like every yeah. time a heroine stands up to a blood letter. Oh right? yes, I mean in Devil in Winter it happens. I wrote a bloodletting, a blood a bad blood letter in Rules of Scoundrels, though. Don't ask me which one. One of them, and so um, you know, there's that. There's also. Um, you know, but but there is also that sense. So in uh, which one is Temple? Uh, no good dude goes unpunished, right? Um, Mara, the part yeah. of the whole thing is that Mara, like he's kind of over the whole book holding her true identity hostage, right? Like that's yes. the, the back and forth because the whole world thinks that she's dead and they think that he killed her. And so and then it becomes clear that she's going to unmask herself and he's terrified for her in this moment for reasons. And he you can see like the scene is in a ballroom, I think. And she like takes off her mask and he's like, I got to save her. But she's too far away. Like, I like that, too, when they're like, I mean, obviously, that's a different kind of danger. But like when they can't get to them. I can't, I can't get, get to, you. to you. Well, and I think um, it happens in Never Judge a Lady, right? Where she's going to get up and and there's, yep. again, a similar kind of unmasking. I do a lot of but that But I also think one of my... Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> We're digging into your, your id. I don't like it. Um, I don't know... Sorry. You're going to love it. I have a lot of things in store for us. Um... One of the things I also love, though, and you love it, too, and I think we've talked about it. You were mad at me and Kate when we didn't talk about it at the sickbed scene 
where uh, it's like she, she dies, you die. We've talked we talked about this in the doctor episode and somebody uh, tweeted at us like could we please not talk about killing doctors right now? And yes, that's a terrible thing and no, of course not. We love doctors. Thank you frontline workers. We did a whole episode for you. We yes. love you. Um but yeah, like that's amazing. She dies, you yeah. die. Oh, I mean, God. I put I mean, a, right, he, like, tweeted, brings in like, a special a special doctor from Australia because he's like, you were the best. <laughs> and that this is one that. guy. And that is that. <laughs> Amazing. <sighs> I mean, all these things are, but the ultimately it's really about, you know, really hitting again. It goes back to the alpha episode, right? It goes back to this idea that like feeling feelings is terrifying. Yeah. And, and there's no more terrifying feeling than I might lose you. No, it's a lack of control so, in a huge way. Yes. It's time to spring into action to put my world back to rights. Exactly. And I would rather sacrifice myself than sacrifice you. Like, yeah. I am worth nothing. You are worth everything. You could live without me, but I could not live without you. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Me too. Let them all ache. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was great. I'm excited. I think uh, we did it. I think we did, too. We did the thing. Tell us about your favorite um, partner in trouble romances. There are a lot of them. A lot of them. And um, we should also do a bodyguard romance sometime. We haven't done that, oh. right? We had Nana Malone. I was going to talk about Nana Malone. Uh, Nana Malone's protecting the heiress duology. Um, because it's a good example of not many, many Nana writes a lot of bodyguards and, and obviously bodyguard romance is like the promise of the premise of the bodyguard romance is that someone will be in danger. So, um, but we should really talk more about bodyguard romances in general. Put um, it on the list. I'm putting it on the list. You know, I wrote something, I wrote myself a note today on this list and on this piece, like random shred of paper on my desk. And it says monster banging on it. That's what it said before I wrote myself a note. So check. Cause somebody on Twitter <laughs> asked for a monster banging episode and I was like, okay, cool. But also sure. like all of season one feels like that. So <laughs> I know I was like, didn't we do that already? But you know, we haven't done a paranormal episode either. Like just a flat out, like here are other I paranormal know. series we love. We should do that. We should. Anyway. Uh, so, everyone, that was Faded Mates this week. You find us on Twitter at Faded Mates or on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Um, if you're on Facebook, you can join the private OSRBC Facebook group, um, which is a... Just if you love romance novels, you should be in there. You can ask questions and talk to people who also love romances. But on Wednesdays, there's always a chat about the weekly episode. You can call and leave us a voicemail message about a book that you love that blooded you at 646-450-3766. You can buy t-shirts and tote bags and other swag from Jordan Denae at jordandenae.com, whose shop is closed right now. Um, But join her mailing list and uh, you'll get a notification when she's back in business. And a Faded Mates t-shirt will be in the shop then. Um, Our show is produced every week by the talented Eric Mortensen. Our logo was designed by best friend Kelly (laughs) at Resistance Buttons. You can also buy Faded Mates stickers and buttons at jenreadsromance.com. There's a Sarah pack. There's a Jen pack. You can find a link to both of these shops at fadedmates.net under merch. We have a Spotify playlist. You can get to that there. We got it all. You guys, it's it's like a three-minute promo. We got lots going on. I have a book coming out on June 30th. You can pre-order it at where bookstores sign. You can pre-order it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Google or wherever the hell you read books. Request it from your library. And uh, don't forget show notes. Jen works hard on them every week. I do. And uh, they're they're pretty great. And also tell us if you... Anyway, that was long and we won't do that every week, but we have a really beautiful like list. We made a list and here it is. We're trying to do better, everybody. We're trying to start at the beginning and end at the end. <laughs> I don't know. That felt very un... That felt, <laughs> that felt very unrealistic, but okay. Here we are. <laughs> Anyway, stay tuned. You'll hear one of the other listeners talking about their favorite book uh, after this. 
Hi, this is Gemma. I wanted to call and tell you about a book that flooded me. Um, I came to romance kind of late in my adult life. I had read some romance earlier in my life in um, middle school and junior high, you know, some that I'd found in, you know, my mom's room or whatever. Um, but then I, I think some, I might have heard someone told me, you know, oh, that isn't serious literature, blah, blah. And so I didn't read it for a long time. And then when I was um, working on my dissertation, my dissertation chair, I said something like that to her. And this woman who I respected so much, like the most intelligent, sophisticated woman I knew, told me, basically, bless your heart, you're completely mistaken about romance, and you need to go read some right now. And so I did. And the book that blooded me, which I reread for January, was The Spymaster's Lady, by Joanna Bourne, and if you haven't read that Spymaster series, it's amazing. Um, the writing is so, so lovely. The heroine is French, and when you are reading the book, you feel like you are reading something translated from French in a way. It's beautiful, the, the chapters that are from her perspective. It's also beautifully researched, all of the historical information. It's set in the Napoleonic Wars, and it is a slow burn. It is um, so intense. Um, the heat level is, you know, mild to moderate, uh, but just a lovely, lovely book and a lovely series and got me back into romance. And I'm so glad that it did because much like um, I think I've heard Jen say on the podcast, since, you know, the November of 2016, I have read pretty much nothing but romance. Um, it's what I have really needed and it has saved my sanity um, in so many ways. And so thank you to um, Faded Mates for the podcast and thank you to all of you who write and promote romance. You are doing a good work in the world. It is it has saved my life. Um, I'm at Jimma Lourdes on Instagram and Twitter. So I'll talk to you there.